All right, you guys. Uh, just before we jump in, I want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening, um, to everyone who subscribed. I've even seen a couple reviews and Benji and I just get so excited to see you guys, um, sharing this podcast that really, really encourages us. So just wanted to give you all a shout out to say thank you so much, uh, really means a lot to us. And I apologize for my semi-scratchy voice today. I got um, a little bit sick this past week, which is why this episode is coming out a little later than we would have liked. But um, anyways, we're back at it and ready to jump into our topic today. So we are going to kind of get back into Revelation, and um, today I want to focus on Revelation 2 and 3, which we see are uh, letters, seven letters addressed to seven churches, and uh, we want to look at why these letters are so relevant right now to um, our day and to society, because uh, as we're seeing, there is... uh, really an enormous pressure on the church globally um, in different ways, but especially here in the West related to what society um, is, you know, defining as morally good and bad. And basically uh, society is putting a lot of pressure on the church here in the West to, uh, to, you know, to have the church define what their stance is related to on a lot of key issues. Uh, we're seeing, you know, abortion and homosexuality and um, se- sexuality in general. Uh, so it's interesting because these uh, letters are written to the church. Uh, the whole book of Revelation is actually written to the church, which is a massive. Uh, piece of information that I think is really important for us to get because the church by and large today has basically ignored the book of Revelation because it's been considered too controversial or too difficult to understand. But the interesting thing is that this book was actually written to the church directly and not just to one church, but to multiple churches. And it was meant to be even read out loud for everyone in the congregation to hear and understand, which means whether you had an education or whether, uh, or whether you were, you know, in the poor or working class, whether you could read or not, this book was meant for you to hear and understand. Um, and that's why revelation really is just so important. It doesn't take some scholar to understand it. I mean, for the most part, I think scholars even have the hardest time understanding revelation. Um, cause there, there seems to not be like agreement about it, but the, the reality is, is this book is meant to be understood by everyone. It's meant to be taken by the church read and read out loud. And we saw it back in the first episode that there's a blessing associated with that. So um, why we want to get into these seven churches is because Jesus really addresses some specific issues in these different letters. 
And he also gives um, a lot of really deep and moving encouragement to the church in the midst of it. And we're going to look at that in a second, but I just want to give you some like a quick overview so that when you go and read Revelation 2 and 3, you can kind of have in your mind different things to look for. And that is that every letter opens with Jesus addressing to the angel of the church of. And that word um, angel in the Greek, it actually means messenger. And so uh, Jesus is actually not addressing this to what we would like typically think of when we hear just the word angel, but he's, he's addressing these letters to the main leadership of those churches. So it's to, you know, the messenger of the church of Ephesus to the messenger of the church of Laodicea, etc. And, um, part of the reason why I believe that's so important is he, he's specifically talking to the leadership of these different churches in in, you know, these different cities. And he is wanting them to take to heart the things that he's about to say, because the leaders essentially are the ones that set the culture uh, for the church. You know, as, as the leadership is, so will the organize organization go. The leadership sets the culture. The leadership has a higher um, standard of responsibility related to the things that they teach um, related to the way that they lead, you know, Jesus has a lot to say about shepherds, um, of his flock. We see that in different, um, you know, scriptures in the book of Zechariah, in the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the Lord is really, really, um, focused on talking to the leadership of his people, because at the end of the day, they hold a a higher, weight, um, on their shoulders to be able to lead the people of God, uh, you know, in, in the biblical way, in the right way. And so Jesus is really addressing these leaders to say, okay, are you going to take a stand for the things that I care about? Are you going to take a stand, um, regardless of the pressure on you? And something that we're seeing happen even like right now is just the the way that society that even the mainstream media is addressing different leaders of the church uh, here in America or the western church in general and basically putting a lot of pressure on them to take a stand for things and um i mean i'll just go ahead and share something that Benji and I heard this past week, which was uh, we were in a meeting uh, in which a good friend of ours who is one of the leaders of uh, a big missions organization, a global missions organization, he was just with uh, some of the senior leaders of the White House in the last couple weeks. And um, essentially, he, he came back and shared with us that essentially President Trump has basically been saying, where are the Christian leaders today? Like I am doing everything that they are asking me to do. I moved Jerusalem, the, the, the embassy to Jerusalem and set up Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I'm taking a stand on, um, you know, pro-life issues. I'm taking a stand on multiple things. He 
he basically he said he was like the leaders of the Christian world right now are wimps. <laughs> that was the quote that we got. I don't know if you want to like weigh in with what you were hearing. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty alarming. The just the position that the leadership in the church is taking with in regards of the word of God in regards to the position of uh, towards Israel, towards life, towards homosexuality and accepting things. We, we have to love people and accept people, but we have to confront them with the truth. And it seems to be that um, the pressure of uh, losing your benefits, losing your position, losing credentials and governmental restrictions is weighing on on the leadership in the church and they are uh, i mean it's a decision it's a decision to make and we are leaving the pressures that the book of revelation told us that those seven churches were leaving but we're leaving them now so the relevance of these messages as we're leaving the pressure political military economic you know social pressures of if you stand for the truth then you're gonna lose you're going to lose something. What are we going to do? That's why Jesus knows that we are weak. Jesus knows that we are, you know, prone to to say, to yield to the pressure. So that's why he comes with this letter, which is amazing. He has a revelation of himself. He has a revelation of the judgment that he's going to bring, the restoration, the rewards. And... um. So anyways, I, I know I expand a little bit more, but uh, it's interesting how how we are living these days again. And the pressure is not going to stop. It's just going to continue on and on. And if Jesus was the preacher of the church right now, he will be preaching these seven letters without adding anything else. So anyways. Yeah, and what I like about these seven letters is that they really are like, if we were to ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, what do you think about the way that whatever the church is acting right now or responding? We have like in red, like letters in red of what Jesus has to say about, you know, issues that are happening in the church right now. And something that I've been saying since Trump got elected is basically like Trump has been taking a lot of the backlash that should rightfully be the churches, meaning he has been taking so much hate, so much just pure aggression from a lot of people um, regarding issues that, you know, the church usually is, you know, supposed to take a stand for related to pro-life, related to um, just marriage, uh, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of even, um, yeah, just gender, all of that stuff. Trump has been taking a lot of hate and a lot of the persecution that rightfully belongs to the church. And I just see right now that it is such a crucial time for the church and globally, but the church in America specifically to take a stand for what the Bible says. And, um, what I love about these letters is that Jesus doesn't just like drop in and say, Hey, you need to do better. He comes in and in each of the letters, he gives 
an attribute of himself, a characteristics, a characteristic of who he is. You know, um, there's a revelation about him. We see it just in Revelation 1. He gives 18 different aspects of his majesty, and then he weaves those 18 um, characteristics into these seven letters. And I love that because he comes in and he says, hey, I'm the one who walks in the midst of the lampstands, which almost all of the symbols, this is kind of a side note, almost all of the symbols in the book of Revelation get interpreted within the book of Revelation. There's literally only a handful of symbols that don't get interpreted. And most of the time you can find in other places of scripture what those symbols mean. But in case you've ever heard it said like, oh, Revelation is like impossible to understand. It's just full of symbols. Well, if you just like read through the passage, most of the time you see the symbol interpreted right there. So for example, we see at the end of Revelation uh, 1, it's Revelation 1 verse 20, I believe, Jesus says the seven uh, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then we see Revelation 2. This says Jesus who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. So Jesus is saying, I am walking in the midst of my church and I'm deeply involved. I'm connected to the things that are going on. And when we take those descriptions to heart, they impart a lot of courage to us to actually stand for the things that Jesus is about to tell us to stand for. And so each one of these letters has one of those 18 or or multiple of those 18 descriptions um, written in there. And when we really lay a hold of those characteristics of Jesus, they give us so much courage to stand for what he loves um, and and to to stand for his name ultimately. And we'll see different things like Jesus will affirm, you know, the faithfulness of each church or things that, you know, they're doing well, but then he'll come in and he'll give a correction for compromises and things that need to be strengthened. He gives an exhortation for them to respond. And then I love this again. He kind of like sandwiches each of these letters. He starts with the revelation of himself and then he ends it with, Hey, I'm so committed to you and I'm so in love with you, church, that I'm going to even just sweeten this deal and say to him who overcomes, I'm going to give you a insane reward that is so far beyond what your mind could imagine, beyond what you could think of. I'm going to give you a reward to demonstrate how important it is to me that you love what I love. And that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, you took a stand for what was important to me. Okay, let's just uh, jump back to the Church of Ephesus. I love, I love the the two presentations of Jesus in verse one. He has a seven stars in his right hand, meaning he does care for his leadership. Leadership is so important for Jesus. Because he's a leader, but he does uh, care about his leadership. And he's about to confront seven leaders. I mean, two of them are blameless. And the other, the, the other five have a lot of flaws. Still, he says, I have you in my hand. This will change so much the way that we judge the church in America. 
the way that we I've even said this. Ah, oh, in that church, I, you can't feel his presence. God not even, is not even there. Well, you read the, ne the next statement, who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands, and then it's like Jesus saying, if you didn't feel my presence in a compromised church filled with immorality, which is several of them, you missed it because I walk among them, which is an amazing thing, and it's a very scary thing. Because he's very involved with not only the leadership and the the uh, morale of the leadership, but the church secret lifestyle. And the church of Ephesus is very relevant for us in America, in most of the countries in this continent, because they were super prosperous. They had all the teachers that were available, you know, and the most amazing teachers like John, Paul. Aquila, Priscilla, they had a Peter, Apollos, like all the apostolic voices of the time. They were part of a revival in Acts 19 and 20. They had signs and wonders, economic changes, to the point that the whole city converted to Jesus at some point. They have all the economic stuff. Therefore, God is holding them accountable. So this is... Um, to me, this is interesting. Two of the seven churches were really poor and persecuted, and they are blameless. There's nothing negative Jesus had to say. But the ones who are very prosperous and very active in ministry, like Ephesus, they have the danger to be occupied, to even confronting doctrines. And we have the right doctrine. You are not real apostles. And then Jesus is like, that's awesome. But you, you lost me in the way. You lost your first love. You, you got caught up in your teaching theology and all of these things, trying to defend the truth. And I love it. And you are unceasingly helping me and serving me. But you have to remember. You have to remember when, where you fall. And um, so that's one of the things that I see relevant for us right now in the book of uh, the Church of Ephesus that in, in the church in America, we are so comfortable. We have so much teaching. We even have a podcast. And we're, I mean, we're not going to go to jail because of this. The rest of the countries in the world, in the Middle East, you go to jail because of this. And still, Jesus is like, when you're prosperous, when everything is good, when you have a lot of teaching, you have to check your first love. So that's one of the things that is highlighted in, in my heart when I read um uh, Revelation 2. Yeah, it's funny. I had a conversation with a friend a couple months ago who's a, a leader in the body of Christ. And he basically was saying, not in a negative way, but kind of in a like fear of the Lord way. It's amazing how incredible uh, our services in America can be without Jesus. Yeah. Meaning we can we can make it amazing all kind of in our own efforts so to speak you know we have the lights we have the incredible music we have you know worship that gives you the chills and it's like you can really create an incredible show yeah but the question is like is is not is the lord there because obviously like yes he is but it's are we do, are we pursuing our first love yeah, in the midst of all of the you know 
stuff that we have, the glimmer and the glamour, you know? Yeah, one of the things I I will get, if I can put in, in a few words, what is the message for the, for the Church of Ephesus is Jesus is not impressed with your works. He's thankful for your faithfulness, but he's after your heart over and over again. And I, I remember probably 15 years ago, I heard this, this leader, this massive church in, in North Carolina. He said, well, we're hoping that the Lord shows up today. But if he doesn't, we have a great program. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, which he was trying to be funny, but then he was making a point of that what you're saying, Gabe. We have so many crutches. We can always put more volume, more lights, more whatever, and kind of say, well, we tried, right? But um, but the churches that are in persecution in jail have no the same resources and already made a stand for Jesus that cost them everything. They don't have that resource. It's God or nothing. And it seems to be that that's where the church shines the most. doesn't mean that we can shine right now, but it's more difficult because of the distraction and how easy it is to not depend on the Holy Spirit. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so I want to kind of go through this a little bit more systematically and then break down some stuff. So if you're listening and have your Bible at hand, you can kind of pull it out. But really briefly, Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. You have persevered and have labored for my namesake, and you have not become weary. And this you have that you hate the deed of the Nicolaitans. Okay, so I want to just kind of go through this and explain, like, why is this so important for us today? Um, You have labored and you've not become weary. This is amazing because, again, this church, Ephesus, they were so diligent in ministering to people. You know, Jesus really, really cares about all of our efforts to serve other people, to serve the poor, you know, everything that we do in his name to love and honor him. He told them, you can't bear those who are evil, which means that um, this church in Ephesus didn't tolerate false apostles who would lie um, about, you know, false doctrines and who would promote, uh, you know, things as if they were in the Bible, but weren't. Um, They would test and expose these false apostles and required them to uphold biblical standards and lifestyles. Um, And then Jesus says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And this is something that I want to just explain really quickly because this is something that is so um, relevant right now in the Western church, which, so the deeds of the, the Nicolaitans Basically, the common view among some of the early church fathers was that this was a reference to followers of a guy named Nicholas, who was a a deacon in the church of Jerusalem who fell into error. And uh, in the second century, Irenaeus taught that the Nicolaitans were basically without restraint related to the indulgences of the flesh. So they 
repeatedly were involved in immorality. You know, there was a lot of things I think related to like gluttony and just, it was kind of, you know, whatever pleasure you wanted, you could have. And essentially what that is, is it became uh, the distortion of the grace message, which is basically like God's grace is so great and, and so um, forgiving that you can just go on and live a sinful lifestyle and it'll be covered under the grace of God. And that is a massive point that we need to talk about because that message is rampant in the church today, which is basically like, you know what you do, you do you, you know, whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy. You know, that's what God cares for the most. God wants you to be rich. He wants you to be successful, you know, in the eyes of man. So you just, you just be you, you know, and whatever makes you feel good. And that is completely, um, wrong. That is completely against the gospel. And, uh, that is something that the church of Ephesus faced and is something that we really face today. And so Jesus exhorted, uh, Ephesus to say, you, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And, and that is really important to me. So the main thing, which Benji, mentioned earlier is that the main thing that he had against Ephesus, and he actually says this, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. So you've done all of these incredible things. You've labored for my name's sake. You've, you know, you've, you've stood up against those who claim that they're apostles and are not. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but everything that you've done, you've done out of this religious zeal disconnected from my heart, disconnected from your first love. And, and Jesus comes and basically rebukes the church for having left their, their first love. But the thing that is amazing about this is Jesus's rebukes aren't in vain. He doesn't come to say, oh, how dare you? And you know, that's it. Strike one, you're over. No, he he rebukes us because as we see right there in verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So his rebukes are, are redemptive in the sense of he's one, he's giving us the opportunity to turn our hearts, to cultivate that first thing that it really would be first. And I want to just go ahead and, and say this, that we see in Revelation 19, off the top of my head, I'm forgetting the verse. Maybe you would know. But we see um, in Revelation 19 that there is a bride that is made ready. 19 verse 7? I think so, yeah. We see that there is a bride that is made ready. And that bride is not going to be in any way, shape, or form passive in her love towards Jesus. That bride is going to be filled with longing filled with just that, that burning desire of like Benji and I, we got married. This is like a poor example compared to what we're talking about, but we got married. Not that poor, not that poor. (laughs) We got married and literally a month after uh, our wedding day, we had to spend two weeks apart because Benji needed to go do a visa trip. The most disgusting two weeks of my life. Both of us got got sick. Yeah. Because we were so devastated 
to be apart from each other. Like I, I didn't know that love like actually was painful. I felt pain in my body just from being absent from one another. And that is what the church is going to be when Jesus comes back. We are going to be lovesick. There is a bride that is crying, come Lord Jesus, by the end of Revelation. And that is where we're going. And so Jesus's exhortation to us to put the first things first, to return to our first love, that's not something casual. That is something that we need to take really seriously because when pressure comes, again, when like when it hits us, when when someone comes knocking at our door and says, Hey, you you have to, you know, say that this is okay or else you're gonna be labeled as as a hater, you're gonna get discriminated against, you're you might get death threats, you might get persecuted, you might eventually end up in jail. The only way that we are going to endure for the long run is if we have a real living relationship with the Lord and we're doing it out of the place of love. Love is burning because God is a consuming fire. And so our love has to be burning hot inside of us. Otherwise we can do things out of religious zeal, but only to a point. Um, and so that's why we see this call to return to the, to the first love is so important and is so relevant today in in our churches. Okay, so just to wrap this up, um, the amazing thing that we see is that Jesus starts introducing these eternal rewards, which, oh my gosh, you guys, we need to talk about eternal rewards at some point because they are just incredible. Yeah, there's, there's 26 of them and... Actually, no, there's 22. Well, there's some people see 26, but there are some that are connected. And those have become personally my obsession. Because the eternal rewards are so good that they touch, they touch the daily mundane life that we have. It makes every decision that we make for humility, for meekness, for obedience when no one cares about our decisions but Jesus, it makes it really powerful. It makes your life really powerful day by day. Even the days that are like, I'm bored. This is, what am I doing with my life? I just want to go to sleep and it's 8 a.m. You know, it's like when you have one of those days, the eternal rewards, they tell you, you're faithful today. I will remember. And the exchange of what I'm going to give you for what you gave me, when it was horrible, you didn't feel anything, but you did it out of love and ob- obedience, you're going to be really happy you spent that day trying to obey me. At least try to obey me with all your heart. You might not succeed, but I see the effort. And God really is going to reward those who overcome those sins that are highlighted in the book of Revelation. And again, there's two churches that didn't have to overcome any sin. They just have to endure, not quit. It's like, you guys, you're going to put be put in, in jail and you just have to be faithful until you die. Basically, Jesus tells them, you are going to die. 
So just be faithful. And that's the encouragement. And then the reward is like, you're going to rule the nations. You're going to, you know, receive this new name that no one knows, but only the one who receives it. And it's like, what is going on? And then there's others, like the other five churches. You have to overcome immorality. You have to shut down your internet. If you have problems with pornography, just put some restrictions in your phone. You know, you can't open. Just go for the narrow path. Even though you like that scene, you're prone to that scene. But the eternal reward is so amazing. You don't want to miss it. That's the tone of Jesus. It's not like condemning or destroying. It's actually saying, guys, if you only knew what you're missing out, you 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 will quit that sin right now like right now even if it costs you if it sucks for you you have no idea that's why he repeats eight times this phrase those who have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church let them hear it's only said 16 times in the bible when jesus is saying what i'm about to say you're gonna read it a hundred times you're not going to get it, not even grasp a 1% of what I'm saying, unless the Holy Spirit helps you. So the eternal rewards, you read them, they're 22, and you're like, what, just a stone, like a white stone in my chest? Like, am I a rapper? Or like, <laughs> what is that? Like, I gave my life for just a white stone? And she's like, you have no idea what that means. So just ask me, ask me. So the, the eternal rewards, it's, it's a podcast in itself. But uh, yeah, th we love the eternal rewards because they really, uh, I don't know, encourage you to, to keep going for it. Yeah, I love that um, verse in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 where it talks about eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. That like perfectly sums up the eternal rewards because these rewards are beyond what our imagination can actually think of related to how God wants to demonstrate how important it was to him that we loved him. And one plus one does not equal two in God's economy related to these things, meaning we give our small little effort and he rewards us above and beyond what we could have ever imagined. And, um, and that's why, like, the little things that we do right now, he says, even if you give a cup of cold water, <laughs> I'm going to reward you forever because of that. But that's why this exhortation to return to our first love, he says, repent and do the first things. We're going to know forever how important it was to God that we repented and did the, did the first yeah. works. And, and that's what I want to highlight. It's not, this is not time for false, false humility. Like in, in, in Spanish, we have a few songs that and summarizing and they say like, oh, Lord, that day when I'm with you face to face, I don't care the color of my crown. And if I have a place in your table, I just want to see you face to face. <laughs> that sounds romantic. And I like the heart behind it. But the truth is theologically incorrect. God is like, I'm offering you presents. Like I, I love to give presents to Gabe, right? Uh, that's one of the ways that I show my love. It, sometimes it takes me a few weeks to prepare a gift. If she doesn't like it, or if she's like, no, I don't give me gifts. I don't care. I'm like, well, I don't care that you don't care because I actually put 
two weeks into this and money I save in all of this because the point is that as you enjoy the gift, you are feeling a little bit of what the enjoyment that you give me. And that's the point of the rewards. It's an invitation to feel forever just a little bit of how much he feels when we say yes to him in this side of, of, of history. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal window to feel what he feels um, forever. So there's so much to talk about eternal rewards. But if we lose sight of those eternal rewards and eternity itself, then the, the, the letters of this, to the seven churches are, is too harsh. But it's not really. Yeah. Amen and amen. We'll see you guys next time.